Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky. He's in the Jackson studio. Got the whole crew, or the rest of the crew, in Oxford today with uh, Hey Dad in town from Starkville. Obviously, this is home for Rippy. As you got some basketball coming up tonight. Six o'clock tip-off at the Pavilion, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. The most played basketball rivalry in the history of the Southeastern Conference resumes once again in a little under three hours. I'm glad to be here. Good to have you. Yeah. yeah. I know you were disappointed you couldn't eat fried chicken like you always do when you come to town. I technically did eat fried chicken, though. Oh. so Yeah, but fried chicken wings, right? Yeah. It's still very good. There you go. Yeah, Rippy over here thumbing through the media guide, working feverishly to get what? Uh, are you working on baseball stuff? Yep. Um, opening day on Friday, so had media day today. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I should probably write something. Good call, Rippy. Thanks for the inspiration. There you go. Yeah. Well, there you go. Good to be with you this afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That is the Ceasefire text line. Uh, Ceasefire let wants you to know that the biggest free phone event ever is here. Switch to prepaid by Ceasefire and get your choice of best-selling phones free like the Samsung Galaxy A10e the Google Pixel 3a and more while supplies last. Shop now at cspire.com slash prepaid. Borky, poll question to get things started today. Yeah, we'll uh, start. Number one, have you traded in your car for a jet ski yet? And number two, uh, what is more likely? Mississippi State men's basketball makes the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament or baseball makes a return trip to Omaha? More likely. More likely the round of 32 or the Elite Eight, so to speak, in baseball. Hmm. That's an interesting question. That's That almost needs a little bit of thought. For me, it doesn't. Okay. I think it's Omaha. You think that's more likely than... Yeah, because right now you're talking about a team that's on the 11, the 11 seed line. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Or outside looking in yeah, if you trust Joe where you look. Lenardi. Yeah. I haven't seen his latest update, but... Yeah, I think I, I think that's an Omaha team in in, in Starkville. Even if I, I like the basketball team a little bit better, I would probably still say Omaha. Currently, Joe Lenardi has Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga, and San Diego State as the one seeds. The two seeds are Duke, Louisville. Uh, I'm sorry, Duke, Maryland, Louisville, and Dayton. And then Seton Hall is knocking on the door for a two seed. The last four teams that get a bye, which means not having to play. In Dayton, Florida, Xavier, Wichita State, and Virginia. 
Virginia's played pretty well as of late. They've gotten better as the season's gone along. Last four in, VCU, Indiana, Stanford, and East Tennessee State. First four out. Cincinnati, then Mississippi State, then Minnesota, then Arizona State. So, yeah. according to Joe Lenardi and the most recent Bracketology update, that's as of 2 o'clock Eastern time, so 1 o'clock our time. Earlier today, five SEC teams uh, in the field, still 11 Big Ten teams, six from the Big East, five from the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the SEC, the ACC with only four teams in, and uh, so on from there. Probably don't care beyond uh, beyond that right now. Um, Vegas has Mississippi State as a one-point favorite in this ballgame tonight. What's that say to you, Borky? Um, they expect a close game. I, I mean, Ole Miss in the last week. <laughs> you went out on a limb with that oh, one, Yes, I did. Um, but it was no, kind of a softball I tossed. Uh, absolutely. But, no, I think uh, Ole Miss in the last week has shown the ability to be the team that going into the season we thought that they were. And they, they've they been able to do it by – I mean, South Carolina, as you talk about all the time, Frank Martin's teams are going to come in and just grind you down and be physical with you. That's the style that his teams play. And even though – I mean, they're not as good as, say, his Final Four team. There's another breaking news for you. Uh, it's still that style, and Ole Miss responded to that really well, which was uh, kind of out of character for how they've been this year. And then Florida comes to town, and Blackshear's basically, I mean, a non-factor in the game. So they've been able to get better at the physical, the the post-game, and in steps their biggest challenge yet. But it shows that um, at least the the odds makers are realizing that don't look at Ole Miss's metrics, look at the team that they currently are playing like, and it's one that uh, presents a not a unique challenge to Mississippi State, but a lot greater one than we thought a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I don't think there's I don't think there's much debate at all about that. Rippy, why is Ole Miss playing better now than they did from all oh, about mid December until about mid January? Backcourt's playing more consistently, and they appear to be a little mentally tougher. It was interesting. I listened to Haydad's podcast last night, and uh, Allen said something about Carlos Curry, who played in spot minutes when Hadim C was out, but hasn't really cracked the rotation since, and then also said Ole Miss has played a bunch of 2-3 zone. I don't know if he's playing coy, but I don't think either of those things have happened. So I, I'll be kind of interested <laughs> to see how the defense Subterfuge. Yeah, so I'll be interested to see how uh, this defensive matchup lines out. Obviously, the backcourt kind of is what it is for Ole Miss. I told Haydad last night, like, I, I mean, you don't want Tyree going for like 45, but like, there's not really much containing him. I think he's going to get 20-ish, though I was pedestrian a couple games for that. It's just not allowing the uh, secondary scores, the Schulers, Buffins of the world to, to hurt you as much. That's what killed State last year in the game in Starville. Was it Henson went for what twenty six in that game? Career some, high twenty six. Huge three pointers in that game. That's what really you know put MSU behind the eight ball more than anything else. That was a heck of a game, wasn't it? Yeah, it went back and forth. Yeah, good atmosphere was, too. I think I was watching that from Columbia, South Carolina. I was supposed to be there for a South Carolina Missouri game. That's a what game? The the storm, right? Yes. So I flew in on Thursday night. It was the best way to get there so that I could do the show on Friday, go to practices. I think it was supposed to be maybe an early start. And then on Friday night, they postponed the game until Sunday. Yeah. And so I sat around Columbia, South Carolina all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then finally had a game on Sunday uh, before eventually getting home. So that was one of those where I was on the road and was able to watch it. And I just remember thinking, wow, what a game. It was just yeah. punch 
counterpunch, punch, counterpunch throughout the uh, the entirety of that game. The two three defense thing. I mean, the only time Ole Miss does that at all, isn't it, when they kind of get into a one three one and then fall mm. back into a two three? Yeah, but it's not like they've done like that hasn't been something that's that's kind of spurned them to be better defensively or, or thrust. The, I, I don't know. I was I was a little confused, but maybe he's just playing coy. I, I don't know, and I, I don't anticipate Carlos Curry playing major minutes. Maybe because State's so big inside. I guess if you have C and Buffett in foul trouble, you don't have much other option. But in the last four games, it's been Crowley and. Bryce Williams and that's about it. Not much, even Sammy Hunter out of the mix. I mean, he's he. I don't know. I don't think he'll play in this one because he's been banged up with a knee injury for the last week and a half. Gotcha. And speaking of injury, I don't know. We even talked about it yesterday, but Abdullah Do left game the game uh, Saturday early with a shoulder injury. Uh, as as we when we talked to Howland yesterday at one forty five, they had not gotten any kind of real update on that. I expect him to play tonight, but he might he might be something to watch for. And that's an interesting. Uh, Injury because state is really not playing a lot of guys and they really aren't playing anybody in the, on the, the bench in the front court. In the Prin- front court, yeah. Prince Aduro is getting you know a few minutes a game, but if there's a situation where a dude couldn't go and you got to move you know Perry to the five, you have to go really small. Maybe go what Weatherspoon, Carter, Stewart, Woodard, and Perry. That might that well, might that's the best one. five. That is the best five, but a dude does a lot for you defensively. Though. Yeah, and he's going to score four or five or yeah. six, but he's, gonna he's also going to pull six or seven rebounds down, block a couple of shots, and give you two blocks. Yeah, and he, he's if a, they come at the right time, that he's can be a the role. In the he's game. a starter who's a role player, but he plays his role really well. This afternoon on the Farm Bureau phone line, Luke Johnson will join us at three thirty-seven. We're going to talk some Southern Miss baseball with him as they will open up with Murray State starting on Friday, four o'clock first pitch for that ball game. We'll also talk baseball with Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. That's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Both of those guests will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. You've got Mississippi State and Ole Miss tonight. You've also got Kentucky at Vanderbilt. Wildcats are an 11-point favorite in that game. Um, We talked about it yesterday. Vanderbilt played Kentucky close in Rupp earlier this year. They're back home. Vanderbilt's playing better I don't know if Vanderbilt will continue to play at the level they've been playing or if this is one of those nights where uh, you, you kind of get suckered into the double-digit line. You talk about a game that, if it goes the wrong way for Kentucky, would completely throw everything off in terms of what you're projecting the rest of the way. Because that's an interesting game. I think Kentucky will win, probably win comfortably, but you never know. Tennessee is a three-point favorite at home tonight against Arkansas. LSU also a double-digit favorite, favored by 11 at home tonight against Missouri. LSU riding a two-game losing skid and trying to get things moving back in the right direction. They're still currently in that three-way tie for first place with Kentucky and Auburn. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started with you. When we uh, come back, we will... Take kind of a deep dive into this matchup tonight between Mississippi State and Ole Miss, the first of two matchups this season. They will play in Starkville coming up in a couple of weeks. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Tuesday afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi. As you know by now, our friend and colleague JT is currently hospitalized in intensive care in Jackson. His family and Telesouth Media continue to ask for your prayers during a very difficult time. One of the ways, though, that you can help JT and people everywhere in Mississippi 
is by donating blood at any Mississippi Blood Services location in Mississippi. Just tell them when you donate that you're donating in the name of J.T. Williamson. Go to msblood.com or download their free mobile app to find a location near you. That's a way that you can help J.T. and your fellow Mississippians as well. Again, the website msblood.com or download the free mobile app and find a location where you can donate blood in the name of J.T. Williamson to help out our friend, our colleague, and guy that feels like a family member to a whole bunch of us. All right, let's dive into this matchup between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. The Bulldogs and the Rebels are the most played opponents in SEC history. It's the SEC's most played rivalry, 260 meetings. Tonight is number 261. Mississippi State leads the all-time series 144-116. to They started playing basketball against each other in 1914. You weren't there. No. For that. Okay. Um, Ole Miss has had the upper hand in recent years. They have won nine of the last 12 meetings on the hardwood. The last time Ole Miss had that much success against Mississippi State happened in a window between 1980 and 1985. They won nine of 12 and at one point eight in a row from 1980 to 1983. In Oxford, Ole Miss is plus 40, 84 to 44. And they've won three of the uh, three of the four that have been played in the pavilion, and seven of the last eight overall. And there was a window before this most recent stretch of twelve games in which Ole Miss has won nine of twelve, where Mississippi State dominated the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rick Stansberry, I think he finished twenty three and seven. Did he really against Ole Miss in his in his career? Just had a lot of success against the Rebels. Uh, Richard Williams, sort of similar, especially you know from ninety one on. I was able to, to have success against Ole Miss. Uh, but, you know, you're going to make me say it, right? you got to throw out the record books. Are you going to do that? I, I, I guess it's, it needs to happen, right? I mean, for this particular game, I think, you know. Yeah, but, okay, the, the throw out the record books comment makes more sense when one team is is a double-digit favorite. And you go, yeah, you got a point. well, this team's really, really good, and this team's not. Now, you could look at conference records and say, okay, Mississippi State's in good shape. Ole Miss has got a long way to go just to get, get back to respectability. And that could be your throw out the records comment. But clearly Vegas is saying, yeah, forget about the whole throw out the records thing. Yeah. This is just going to be a close game. And yeah, winning on the road is so difficult, isn't it? I mean, just it the is. fact that it's a road game changes perspective. I don't know if that line is more of an indictment on Ole Miss or on State. Because State has been bad on the road this year. Look at an SEC play. Lost uh, at Alabama by 21. Lost to LSU on the buzzer beater. Lost Oklahoma on a buzzer beater. Lost by, uh, what, I forget what the score was, but they lost Kentucky last week. Tyson Carter has been really, really bad at shooting on the road. Um, they just haven't been a good road team. So, you know, that that's something to keep an eye on tonight for sure. Borky, you had some gambling notes about the game tonight? Yeah, so the trends, if you look at it from that perspective, kind of favor Ole Miss a little bit. So just for whatever it's worth, 55% of the money is on Mississippi State to cover. 53% is on the under, which is 137.5. But Ole Miss is 7-3, and three, as you mentioned, late success against Mississippi State overall and against the spread against Mississippi State in the last 10. Mississippi State 1-6 in their last seven road games so all the metrics gambling wise favor Ole Miss in this game but when you look at the the advanced stats that's why you're seeing public money go to Mississippi State because the stats especially rebounding percentage and stuff like that favor the Bulldogs but gambling trends favor Ole Miss 
this is just fun kind of from a historical standpoint. It has absolutely no bearing on the game. Mm -hmm. On this date, this is the sixth all-time meeting on the 11th of February between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. In the previous five, all five times the home team won. Mm -hmm. That was Ole Miss in 1930. Yeah. A... Blistering thirty-eight to thirty-one victory. Great it was worse than that in nineteen thirty-nine when Ole Miss won thirty-three to thirty. An offensive renaissance in nineteen forty-three when Ole Miss won fifty-two to fifty-one. If you rewind to nineteen thirty-three, it was a defensive struggle in Starkville with the Bulldogs winning at thirty-two twenty-five. Probably still the Maroons at that point. Jeez. My goodness, in twenty ten. Those teams from the 30s and 40s wouldn't recognize the game. Mississippi State won 71-63. 2010. In 2010 in Starkville. Don't remember that game off the top of my head. Is there one game in the history of this series that you've seen mm -hmm. that you remember more than any other? Uh, I wasn't here when Zimmerman went coast to coast. That was in Oxford. Yeah, I wasn't here for that one. I, I saw that one in person. I I was at the one where Stansbury got tossed. That's the one for me, yeah. where, where he gives the... the we the, talked about that. The yeah. choke sign You weren't on, were on the, the show Friday. That was the This Day in History, or one of our This Days in History. And yeah, where he got tossed in the first... Like, what year five, was that? 04. State ended up winning the SEC Championship that year. And uh, beat on... 16 years ago. A long time, man. Jeez. We're getting old, bro. Yeah, that, that's the loudest I've ever heard Humphrey Coliseum. I, I know I, I you've said, been to a whole said, bunch more games there no, no. than I have. The loudest I've ever heard Humphrey Coliseum was against Florida when they were the they had won the national title and they came in the next year with Noah in that group. Mm -hmm. And State, I think, took the lead in the second half. That's the loudest. But that's the most I've ever felt like an egg bowl in basketball. Huh. The, the hate was palpable Ooh. at that moment when Stansbury got tossed. And then you got the story about Stansbury going and hanging out in Ron Paul's yeah, office and he couldn't off. breathe because of all the cigar smoke. Yeah. Rippy, uh, is there a game in the series that stands out for you that you really remember? Mm. I mean, I guess last year was a pretty good environment between two good teams at the time. The one in Starkville? Yeah, I mean, same goes, I guess, for the one in Oxford. Both teams made the tournament. But the first one last year, that environment in the hump was pretty cool. Have you all mentioned the Andy Kennedy catch-me-outside game? Yeah, that was in Starkville. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's when he <laughs> left kept, left yelling 7 of 8 until he left the tunnel. Yeah. That was Tyrese. Had, had some, uh, some words with some state fans there. I remember. Oh, it was a state fan that was yelling at him, and he he he, he returned fire. <laughs> I remember the first game Kennedy coached after he got arrested was against State, and Ole Miss won in the hump that day. I think that was like their first win in the hump in forever. Hmm. I think it may have been Stansbury's first loss in the hump to Ole Miss. And I remember a game up here a couple of years ago where the 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 Howl Trophy was going to go to either Stephon Moody or Gavin Ware. And this game was sort of late in the season, and he thought that might be a deciding factor. And I think Moody went for almost 40 in that game and Ole Miss won. The state could just never get into it against him. You mentioned Abdullah Dew a second ago yeah. and, and the significance uh, of his role for Mississippi State. In terms of career blocks at Mississippi State, Abdullah Dew is currently sixth all-time. He's got 164 career blocks in three seasons. Yeah. He will likely... Let's see. What's he averaging? 1.8 a game? Yeah. I don't know if he'll move into fifth this year or not. Uh, 
Calpatrick Wells, who played 1980 to 1983, has 183. Assuming that Abdul Adu comes back next year and plays mm-hmm. the way he's been playing. Then he probably moves to third all time. I don't know that he gets all the way to Eric Dampier with 249. And then there's SWAT. He's certainly not getting number one. The all time leading shot blocker in SEC history in 560. What would SEC would also be true then? Yeah. I'd say, I'm going to give my guy his props there, man. Give 564 my... career blocks for Bernardo, 2007, 8, 9, and 10 at Mississippi State. Yeah. In terms of rebounds. Um, Abdul Adu couldn't very well tonight move into the top 30 all-time in rebounds. He's sitting at 528. Yeah. Um, let's see how far he climbs up that chart. Uh, standout for Ole Miss, Brian Tyree. Leads the SEC in scoring in conference play. He's averaging just shy of 23 points per game. Third overall in scoring in the SEC at 19 points per game. Active leader among all players in the conference with 1,606 career points. And in terms of field goals made at 545. Through six games in his career against Mississippi State, Brian Tyree is averaging 17.7 points and is shooting 50% from the field. Has he got to score more than that tonight for Ole Miss to have a chance to win? More than, more than the 18 that is his career average? I guess it kind of depends on what the supporting cast does because that's really what's kind of hindered this team when they haven't been good is what are you getting from Blake Henson, who's kind of quietly putting a nice string of games together? Same thing goes for Buffett. And then you had that week where Shuler went off and lost his mind for like, and he went 25-plus, I think, in back-to-back games. I don't remember the exact number. I don't have it in front of me, but it was that uh, Auburn-LSU week stretch two weeks ago. So it really just kind of depends. But he will definitely, like, they won't be able to absorb a you know, 10-, 12-point performance from him. When you compare stats, Mississippi State leads in almost every single category, averaging just shy of 74 points per game, Ole Miss just over 69 a game. Um, Ole Miss is giving up more points per game than Mississippi State is. Field goal percentage a little better for the Bulldogs. Opponent field goal percentage a little less for the Bulldogs. Uh, Mississippi State shoots 34% from behind the arc. Ole Miss 32.5%. From the free throw line, Mississippi State just shy of 75%. Ole Miss just shy of 72 More rebounds per game. Rebounding margin per game in favor of Mississippi State. So in all those categories, Bulldogs have got the advantage. We'll see how it plays out tonight. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson, it's been a little while since we visited. Luke, what's up? Hey, guys. Happy February. It is time for baseball season and one of the best weeks of the year, in my opinion. Is it as wet in Hattiesburg as it is in North Mississippi? I guess you would have to know how wet it is in North Mississippi to answer that. But we looked out on Highway 6 just a little while ago, and uh, there was a big boat made of gopher wood floating down the highway. <laughs> uh, it's it's wet in, in South Mississippi everywhere but Pete Taylor Park. They just got the new million-dollar surface added, and it's one of those things. It can rain in the morning, it can rain at lunch, and you can still be on it in the afternoon. They are... It is getting rave reviews from Scott Barry, all the players. We talked on the uh, Eagle Hour yesterday to Hill Denson, and he's tickled pink too that uh, Pete Taylor Park, literally Hill Denson Field, has a new look this year. And so uh, no issues inside the Pete with the rain. 
You, you sent me some pictures a few weeks ago. Not only is there a new playing surface, but kind of a new viewing area as well, right? Yeah, if you've been to Pete Taylor Park, you know down the third baseline is the bullpen. They've installed a new seating area. Of course, they put nets up in front of it. But there's uh, it's, it's kind of like a, a little a gathering area. you got four seats and a table, and, and they have about ten of those uh, for some season ticket holders. And it's a pretty sweet viewing angle. You're literally looking right down the third baseline. So a pretty sweet addition to the Pete. Is that an area that would have impeded Ron Polk's ability to watch the game after he got ejected? Uh, he would have probably, you know, pulled a little Bobby Valentine and put some, you know, stuff <laughs> on him. Probably would have pulled up a drank a sweet tea down there with somebody for sure. Hey, yesterday we walked through for Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Southern Miss something um, that we did. Oh, I guess back during football season where we looked at. Best case scenario, if everything goes absolutely perfect, there are no injuries, freshmen play the way they're supposed to play, veterans perform at the level you expect them to perform, what does it look like? And then worst case scenario, if you deal with a rash of injuries and people perform, and then kind of what actually is most likely to happen just based on an average season, how would you, in all three of those categories, look at this Southern Miss team? I'll go the short version and then explain it a little bit. This is a totally different year for Scott Berry and Southern Miss. Best-case scenario, uh, they win the conference, they win the tournament, probably a two-seed. Um, okay. Worst-case scenario, uh, they they have some freshmen that don't fill up like they do it. They may come in third and be a, a fringe uh, regional team. Um, well, what's got to happen, and, and just so you know, 48 home runs are gone. Walner's gone. Hunter Slater's gone. Um, Brian Bowen transferred to South Carolina. The, the biggest concern for this Southern Miss team is they got to figure out how to live by singles and doubles and not home runs. And when you lose 23 home runs just off one bat, when you lose 48 home runs off three bats, they got to be able to, to find a way. Uh, the, the strength of this team is going to be uh, on the mound. They're going to rely on some young arms. Some veterans are there. Uh, so I would say best case, they, they, they're expected preseason to win it all. Worst case, maybe three or four. And then the reality falls somewhere in the middle. I mean, they got I, they got to go it, they got to go to Florida Atlantic. They get Rice at home. I think they got to go to Louisiana Tech. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that anything less than a two finish is going to be a disappointment. I think a reality is I think they will win either the regular season or the tournament just because the bullpen is so deep. Luke, I thought last year was an aberration for Southern Miss defensively. They, they fielded it at a 963 clip, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, one of the, the strong suits of Scott Berry's teams traditionally has been they make all the routine plays. Sometimes they make the spectacular plays, but they just make all the routine plays. I think there are a couple of games you can point to that they lost because of defensive liabilities a year ago. Do you anticipate that being true? It will be cleaned up for sure. That was one of the things that Coach Barry told us on the Eagle Hour every week last year was just it, it's a weakness. It's an Achilles. Um, you're going to see some shifting around. Will McGillis, who played shortstop and, and had some of those errors last year, he's going to be moved over to first base. Uh, the D1 Conference USA preseason player of the year is Dustin Dickerson. 
you may re- you may remember that last name. Uh, he won a state championship from with my alma mater, West Jones, last year with Trey Sutton, who was at Southern Miss. Dustin's dad is the bench coach uh, for the San Diego Padres. He is he's going to come in. He's going to start at shortstop. He is an unbelievable vacuum out there. Um, he's going to shore up the middle. Gidry at second base has improved his defense. Danny Lynch in his uh, second year starter at third base. They should be a lot better in the infield. Catcher was kind of a position that was thrown up. They had two transfers in. Looks like Brian Davis from Gordon State College is going to start. But they got Andrew Stanley, who transferred from Arkansas. He's a redshirt freshman. So Dickerson, and with Gidry's improved glove, a lot of those errors should calm down in the middle of the field. Is it going to be weird not seeing Matt Walder run out to the outfield this year? Yeah, I mean, especially when you're out there in the roost, you, you get to talk to him a little bit. Um, he, it, it's just, it's going to be a tough plug. Fisher Norris from Seminary, Mississippi, redshirt freshman, six three, going to beef up a little bit. He'll play, he'll play right. Montenegro and his three forty two batting average will play left, and then center's kind of up in the middle. Hunter LeBlanc, who uh, who played out there last year a lot as a true freshman, him and Brent Blaylock may split early. You mentioned the bullpen. Um, kind of walk me through. We'll get to starters in a second, but kind of walk me through out of the bullpen. Hunter Stanley is is kind of where the conversation starts, right? Yeah, Hunter Stanley's on the preseason, uh, you know, reliever award list. He's been good. Uh, he was a guy last year that he could get two or three innings out of. I mean, he wasn't just a closer; he could come in and shut, shut a team down for two or three innings. That's where it's going to start. Alex Nelms, who's a senior. Recently voted team captain, big kid. Um, he's improved. He'll be there. Depending on what they do with the starters, Josh Lewis is, a, is an arm that they can stretch out. Um, they're just excited about uh, about several guys. A name that you kind of heard over the years, Cody Carroll. He won't be available. He's had Tommy John. Um, but w- when you look at the starters, and we get that just in a second, uh, he's going to have Ostrander's going to have a lot of options out of the bullpen because you expect uh, the, the rotation to go pretty deep in games. Rotation's going to look like what? Gabe Shepard, who was freshman phenomenon last year. Um, I, he, Scott hadn't said it yet. We're supposed to talk to him tomorrow. I, I think either Shepard or Walker Powell will start on Friday. Shepard is a kid last year, even against, you know, everybody remembers the, the seven and a third no hit against Rice. He was, you know, he touches, he touches 97, and it's been hints that he even touched 98 in preseason. He'll sit 94, 95. Um, Walker Powell, of course, seems like he's been playing uh, baseball in Hattiesburg forever at 281 ERA. Uh, I expect one of those guys to be a Sunday, uh, Friday, Sunday guy. And then a couple arms in the middle, Ryan Ock, who's back this year, fully healthy. He's a lefty. Scott likes to put a lefty. Ryan Ock or Josh Lewis, who had a tremendous performance against LSU in the regional. Or here's a kid, guys, keep your name out or keep, keep your ears out for this name. Chandler Best, he's from Mobile, Alabama, true freshman. He uh, was a 7A player of the year in Alabama baseball. And his prep record, 35-2 and with 333 strikeouts. He's a name that probably will. You'll see him throwing some uh, on the mound. He, if he's not a, a weekend option, he may be a w- midweek option. And Dickerson's going to come in from shortstop to throw some in the midweek also. So a lot of options for Ostrander. And, and Gabe Shepard is a name that he could be an elite pitcher in Conference USA this year. I mentioned Matt Walner a second ago. He hit 
323 with 23 bombs and 12 doubles and drove in 60 last year. I mean, obviously there's a lot to replace there. In terms of other names that are gone from last year's team, names that have become household, who are we missing? Hunter Slater, who's been your first baseman for three or four years. He had 11 home runs. Brian Bowen uh, transferred uh, to South Carolina. Uh, Cole Donaldson, who was uh, a, a vacuum behind the plate, great defensive player, uh, he's gone. Um, you know, for, and for the most part, that that's really it on the offensive side. Goodness gracious, Luke! When you when you talk about Brian uh, Bryant Bowen, Matt Walner, and Hunter Slater, you're talking about 45 home runs and. Who 169 runs batted in? I think I did that math right. Yep, Gracious. Somewhere almost to that, yeah. That's a lot of production in the middle of the order. And they're going to have to learn how to – Scott said you're going to be seeing, seeing this play a little more small ball. They're going to be running the ball more, uh, running on the bases more. And a lot of that goes to – you look at this early schedule with Murray State, Central Arkansas. Um, they play Ole Miss and State for the conference play, but you got to get the freshmen some some uh, confidence, the young players yeah. some confidence, and the schedule allows that. Certainly going to be fun. Season opener, 4 o'clock on Friday against Murray State. Glad to have you back and talking to you on a regular basis again, Luke. All right, guys. Have a great week. We'll see you later. Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel, talking some Southern Miss baseball with us. They begin their season on Friday with Murray State at the uh, New Look Pete Taylor Park with the artificial playing surface. We are back in just a couple of minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi. If you've ever wanted to own a professional sports franchise, could we interest you in an NBA team? The returns on ownership of NBA franchises are pretty darn good. NBA team values for 2020. The average NBA basketball team is now worth more than $2 billion. There are only five teams in the NBA that have a valuation of less than $1.5 billion. Those five are Detroit, Orlando, Minnesota, New Orleans, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Every single NBA franchise went up in valuation by at least 6% last year. Uh, the Grizzlies grew by 8% to $1.3 billion. By the way, Robert Para, when Michael Heisley sold the Grizzlies, whenever that was, 2010-ish, it was a $330 million sale. Man, and I was about to, to say, even later than that in 2012, New Orleans was purchased for $338 million. Wow. It's grown by a billion dollars in eight years. I was trying to look and see exactly what Para paid for the Grizzlies. I think 330 is the uh, the number that I remember. Anyway, we can go back and look at that uh, that later. The New York Knicks are the most valuable team in the NBA, and they are valued at four and a half billion dollars. It is just amazing what bad ownership can do to a franchise. They should be able to get whoever they want whenever they want them, and yet they stink out loud and have for like my entire adult life. 
So the Knicks four point six billion, and that went up fifteen percent last year. The Lakers four point four billion, and that went up nineteen percent last year. Golden State four point three, that was a twenty three percent jump. How about the Toronto Raptors coming off a world championship now worth two point one billion north of the border? Border a twenty five percent jump in franchise valuation year over year. Yeah, but what are they worth in Canada? I think these are U.S. dollars. That That's we're what I'm saying. About. Okay, it could be less. It's a lot of toonies. <laughs> Blame Canada. Uh, the Hawks. Okay, Borky, you were talking about star players a second ago, and the point. This was while we were in the commercial break. So Memphis adds John ja Morant, second pick of the draft. New Orleans adds Zion Williamson, first pick of the draft. Early returns on both of those guys are really good, and the future looks bright for both franchises. So I mentioned the Atlanta Hawks. They're valued at one point five two billion, and they're up seventeen percent year over year. There's got to be a Trey Young factor there, right? Absolutely. And with Memphis and New Orleans, I think their front office is structured better and their rosters around those two guys are structured better for the future than that of Atlanta. And so you get this transcendent star in Trey Young who, if you haven't watched him, do it. He's incredible. His game is translated to the NBA so well. He's, I think he's already got six 40-point, 10-assist games in his career, and he is ahead of Kobe Bryant's pace. Uh, may he rest in peace already. So that's how high-level Trey Young is playing at right now. Not to crap on Trey Young, but he plays no defense. They get killed every night, and they traded Luka Doncic for Trey Young and Kent Reddish. Probably not the wise Right. Idea. That's why I said the front Dallas office and the better team on that is just slightly, I'm going to say. A little bit. But that's it. So the, the talent around him in the, the front office and the structure there isn't as good, but one guy, I mean, look at what he does. That has to be a factor. How about this? For NBA owners that bought in 10 years ago, they had fortuitous timing. They benefited from the NBA's $24 billion TV contract with TNT and ESPN which kicked off in the 2016-17 season and is shared equally among the 30 teams. Also, the collective bargaining agreement signed in late 2011 cut the percentage of basketball-related income going to the players uh, to 51%. It was previously 57%, and so that boosted profits across the board. Average operating profits last year for every team in the NBA, $70 million. There were a dozen teams that made profit of more than $100 million and only one team that operated at a loss last season, the Oklahoma City Thunder, lost $23 million, but it's because they had a massive luxury tax bill because of their payroll. Sounds like they're not viable. Maybe move them back to Seattle. <laughs> Seattle should probably have an NBA team. Probably? I don't want to go down this road. Are you a big Seattle basketball fan? I always thought the Sonics got hosed. I, I am a Sonics truther. Seattle Supersonicas. Yeah. Lakers beat the Supersonics. It was a good day. They're you uh, the Supersonicas rep- reference. Yes. Okay. They're going to get a sure. I didn't want to go play on my harmonica. Yes. Yeah. I, got I just didn't want to go consecutive days where there was a pop culture no, no, reference I got that me one. and not you. I got it. One hour quickly in the books on this Tuesday, Sports Talk Mississippi. Teddy Cahill. Let's talk a little more college baseball with the man from Baseball America on the Farm Bureau phone line when we come back for hour number two.
back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, kicking off the 4 o'clock hour on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team with Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. He is at Ted Cahill on Twitter. Last year, Teddy, Mississippi State fully opened Duty Noble, the new dude, at a price tag of $68 million. It is a fabulous facility. I think you were there to see it at one point last year. Today we get the announcement that Binghamton has received a $60 million anonymous gift for a baseball complex in the America East Conference. What are we doing here? I uh, I was absolutely blown away when that came across. Uh, they announced at 11 o'clock this morning they, they, that they were going to have a press conference at 1, and they tweeted a picture, and it looked like a pretty significant setup for a press conference. And I was talking to somebody in the office here. I was like, what, are, like, what could they possibly announce that would require that setup? And, well, uh, we found out. $60 million, it's an incredible gift. I believe I – have to do some research on this, but I believe that's going to be the third most expensive stadium in college baseball. It'll be Duty Noble, uh, whatever Florida's final price tag is, which I think is going to be more than what the new dude was, and then this. I, it's it's mind-blowing. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see, because the America East is a one-bid league, and this isn't going to change that. Now, Binghamton is already one of the two powerhouses in the league. I think people are more familiar with Stony Brook because they made it to Omaha, but Binghamton has been just as successful as Stony Brook outside of that one season over the last decade or so. Uh, They should, at this point, shoot past Stony Brook, and then where do they go from there? I'm going to be very interested to see how this all unfolds over the next five to ten years. What was the final price tag on Oklahoma State's new ballpark that's opening this year? I do not offer offhandedly know that. That's one that I need to look up. I don't think it crossed 50, but I'm not positive about that. Yeah, I, I know it certainly is going to be a, a spectacular facility. Um, it's kind of cool to see this, though, in other parts of the country. I mean, we, we talk Southeastern Conference baseball all the time. We talk about Southern Miss, and, and they've got a great setup there at Pete Taylor Park as well. But to see a Big 12 school, not named Texas, invest the way that Oklahoma State has, and now to see... Uh, a school in the the extreme northeast get this kind of investment does it speak to some growth for college baseball yeah i mean i think in some respects it does it's uh, you know the stadium boom has been going on for a little bit now you know you look at what's been done across the country and obviously um a lot of this has happened in the southeast duty noble um you know jacksonville state build a new stadium that the mississippi state was able to to use at, at times uh last fall i think they played a game there um and you know so those kinds of things are happening florida arkansas keeps adding uh yeah. but now we're seeing it at places like a coastal carolina built a brand new amazing ball it's beautiful for the world series uh, Boston College opened a sorely needed new stadium, Oklahoma State and Washington. And, and so it stretches the country. And, and yeah, it's definitely a, a good sign for college baseball that it's not just schools like Florida and Mississippi State, but it, that everyone or many schools are getting involved in this and, and that they're building these things that, that are, you know, spectacular college stadiums that, you know, can house what, what are really, really good programs. Teddy Michael Borky looked it up. Oklahoma State spent sixty million on their new ballpark. All right, so we have a, we have another sixty million dollar one. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, 
really is incredible. Uh, let, let's transition away from ballparks and money that's being spent to this year in the SEC. And for, forgive me for sounding trite, we talk every year about how good the league is. It almost feels like this year is a step above what we've seen in recent years. Is that possible? Do you think I'm crazy for thinking that? Well, I think at the top end, it definitely is premium. Um, you know, you've, we have seven teams in the top 15 uh, to enter the year. That's really, really good. Um, the league had seven hosts once before. That's the record. Uh, so that would work out, uh, you know, in record fashion if, if the top end is that good. What I'm interested in seeing is uh, whether that actually does all work out because I think the depth is pretty exceptional. And, you know, this is getting, you know, 10 teams getting regional bids is the record. And the SEC's done that the last couple of years, and I think they can do that again. What hurts them this year and the idea that they might be able to break the record and show just how good the depth is, is Missouri being ineligible, because I think this Mizzou team is regional caliber. Hmm. Uh, they just missed a year ago. They, they look very strong on the mound, but they won't be able to, to play in the postseason. So the league looks really good top to bottom. I think a lot of these teams um, at the bottom are, are improved. I think Mizzou's improved. I think Alabama improved. Um, you know, We'll see what happens with Kentucky and South Carolina, but they're both you know, going to be very difficult. Kentucky may be the only team in the league that I feel like really took a, a step back because they lost Zach Thompson, and um, you know he was he was an All American first round draft pick, and, and a team that otherwise was uh, a little light. So we'll see where they go. But I, it's a it's a very very deep league again, and the top is very good, starting with you know Vanderbilt, the reigning national champs. Yeah, kind of going into the year, knowing Missouri's not eligible for postseason competition, it really feels like Alabama and Kentucky are going to compete for that last spot in the SEC tournament. And gracious, you, you, you want to try and pick one of the 12 teams to win it based on what the league's going to look like. Uh, let, let's drill down a little bit more specifically to the state of Mississippi. And let's start with Mississippi State, who you know a lot of people have as – you know, preseason top five, certainly as a preseason top ten, maybe as a, I don't know if favorite is the right way to describe it, but a, a very legitimate chance to make a third consecutive trip to Omaha. How do you view this Mississippi State team? Yeah, I, it's really, really good. I think we have them at nine to start the year, You know, right on that Omaha bubble, as it were, and if they end up in, in uh, Omaha to end the season for a third straight year, I, I will understand completely how they got there. You know, JT yeah. Ginn at the front end of the rotation is, uh, you know, that's a great, great place to start. And the lineup is going to look different, of course, without Mangum at the top and, and without McNamee and, and without Skelton. But, you know, re- you return Foscue and Westberg up the middle, and those two guys are probably the most dynamic double play combination in college baseball. Um, you know, Rowdy Jordan is, is back and, and gives uh, the lineup a, a, a different kind of player. Tanner Allen's one of the best hitters in the league. So it's going to, they're going to score runs again. JT Ginn gives them a, a real force at the front end. And then Sarantola um, and McLeod behind him in the rotation have a ton of upside. I'm going to be very interested to see how they do over a full season in the SEC and how the bullpen comes together. I think there's talent in the bullpen, but Cole Gordon was you know such a presence there. They're going to need someone to step up to replace that. There are years where if we looked to week three and we saw Oregon State, Mississippi State, we would just be salivating. Is Oregon State going to surprise some people, or is that a team that, that takes a step back from where we've kind of been used to them being in recent years? I think they have to take a step back. Um, yeah. 
But I also think that Mississippi State is going to get them at a very good time. Like I think early season Oregon State, it might be a little bit of rough edges. They're, they're trying to figure a lot of things out. Abley Rutschman carried that team in a lot of respects last year. He's not going to be there, of course, after being the number one overall pick. It's a brand new coach. Um, everything about that program right now feels like a little new. They have some good returning talent, Troy Clonch, Alex McGarry. Uh, they have some tough lefties, Jake Maholland and Christian Chamberlain. But how is that all going to work together? We aren't sure yet. Some of that is because Oregon State has been being very tight-lipped this preseason. Um, so I'm going to be eager to see what they look like this weekend, and we'll have a much better feel then. But I, I do think that... You know, right now, at least, that Oregon State is going to take a bit of a step back. I think by May, they're going to be a, a pretty tough team, and it's really going to help Mississippi State's resume if they are able to get a couple <laughs> wins here. But I, I don't think that this team is going to be quite what we've seen the last two or three years in Corvallis. What about the Rebels? Uh, a couple of uh, at least semi-proven starters returning. Uh, you know a lot about Nikhazy. You expect Hoagland to take a step forward this year. Uh, but they're replacing a lot offensively, kind of, kind of like we talked about with Mississippi State just a moment ago. Yeah, they're uh, they're young again this year, uh, like they were a few years ago. Now I think they've done a bit better job than they did a few years ago when they were just so young with that number one recruiting class, and they were really relying on it. This year, you have guys like Tyler Keenan and Anthony Servideo uh, coming back to help the lineup or, or be kind of you know consistent performers that, that are returning. and uh, So I think that's going to be how they perform is going to be significant, but it's really going to rest a lot on the pitching staff, I think, because that is where a little more of the experience is. And when you look at Nikhazy and Hoagland, that's an incredible one-two punch that isn't going to get talked about as much as some of the other ones in the SEC because they're sophomores, so they're yeah. not on the draft radar right now, but they are they can compete with, with pretty much any SEC rotation. So they have to be very good while this young offense kind of finds its way without some of the players that, that had been so good for them that, that have moved on to pro ball now, like like a Greg Kessinger or Cooper or, uh, you know, Dillard, like all of these players that, that they now have to figure out how to replace. The pieces are there. It's just going to be a matter of aligning them. Teddy, I hope this is the first of many times over the next few months that we get to visit. Really, as always, appreciate your time and uh, happy baseball season. Absolutely. So glad that we're, we're finally into the season. Absolutely. That's Teddy Cahill from Baseball America joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Take a quick time out and be right back. It's that damn old rodeo. Time for the Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day, brought to you by the Sportsbook at Time Out Lounge in Philadelphia, Golden Moon Casino. It's eventually going to dry out. We'll have golf at Dancing Rabbit before we know it. Borky, I heard you say yesterday less than 60 days until the Masters. Yeah, I think we're down around 57 right now. You can Hello, uh, you can say what? Hello, friends. Hello, friends. Uh, we'll be able to see the azaleas popping. Yeah. Dancing Rabbit. Water Park will be open before we know it. Philip M's got the stakes going year-round. And I'm sure there's a poker tournament that Haydad can uh, join in pretty know. soon. Don't, don't twist my arm. So lots going on at Pearl River Resort, and specifically at the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Mississippi State is a one-point favorite tonight oh, going in Oxford. We're going here, all right. Against Ole Miss, your Pearl River Resort pick of the day over one thirty-seven and a half. That's a. I feel like that's a safe bet. Over the one thirty-seven and a half. Yeah, I feel. I feel it's safe. You, you you were convinced I was about to pick that game, weren't you? Yeah. I was, I was interested to see where you would go. Over one thirty-seven and a half. 
Borky? I like that. You're fading the public with that pick as well. Ooh, public. Not always smart. A person can be smart. People are dumb. Mm. Mississippi State 15-8 on the year. Ole Miss 12-11 on the season. 6 o'clock tip-off games on ESPNU tonight. If you're watching it at home, that is Dave Neal and Damian Fishback on the call. So um, it'll be good. That will be... uh, are you yawning? I thought you were about to make some sideways comment about the announcers. No. No. I love Dave Neal. Friday is Valentine's Day. Here's to help you, by the way. The total has gone over in six of Mississippi State's last seven games. So there you Score go. Score machines. I like it. Yeah. Friday is Valentine's Day, and the JT Show with guest host Dave Hughes will be at Carter Jewelers in downtown Jackson where they will have great deals on jewelry for the special person in your life. So be sure to stop by Carter Jewelers, see Dave filling in for JT with the JT Show this Friday, February 14th, for Valentine's Day. You taking care of that already? Uh, your Valentine's stuff? Uh, my my children are taken care of. Okay. Now I have the wife taken care of yet? I know what I'm going to do. I just okay. haven't yet. Do you have baseball that night? Um. So... You will get a half-hour edition of Sports Talk Mississippi on Friday. So you'll get basically a baseball pregame show with Mississippi State and Ole Miss both playing at 4 o'clock. Network coverage will begin at 3.30. And my flight, I'm in Gainesville on Saturday. So my flight to Gainesville leaves at like 7.30, 7.20. So my plan is to pick the kids up from school and go catch about two innings of baseball hmm. before I hightail it to the airport. Okay. So I'm kind of excited about that. It'll be like a little family Valentine's Day outing. Yeah. So what are you gonna do? I was told that You'll be at the ball yard. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna try doing anything after the game because it'll just be a mess. So I think we're gonna do something like Saturday or something. Yeah. I don't know. Should do a Valentine's Day breakfast? We could go that route. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. I have my Valentine's stuff coming to the house though for delivery Friday. Ah, there you go. Rippy? Yes. Valentine's Day? I will be at Swayze Field for four to seven hours. <laughs> four to seven? If it gets to seven, you better bring some gloves. Yeah. Maybe a toboggan. That that doesn't mean you don't have to participate in Valentine's Day, though, right? I'm not giving Mike Bianco a valentine, no. <laughs> Nor was I really suggesting such. Then, I don't know who else at the ballpark. Don't you have a Valentine in your life, though? I do. I've got flower delivery type of deal. Pretty sweet stuff. There you go. Is it one of those 1-800 numbers? I'll have to check to see if their number's a 1-800 number, but uh, their website's pretty sweet. Fully functional. It's did awesome. Did you go with what? a local florist or one of these national outfits? I believe this is a national thing. What, what podcast did you get the promo code off of is the better question. I didn't know there was a podcast to be had. Oh man, there's all sorts of like things. Every po- yeah, yeah, like the national yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, I'll check with the dudes at Rebel Report and see if they'll give me the phrase that pays. <laughs> I don't. Nobody advertises on that podunk podcast. So we shall see. Borky, you got your Valentine's Day stuff lined up? Oh, yeah. Uh, we're, the big one's going to be uh, rock climbing. There's an indoor facility in the area, and uh, she's always Nothing. wanted to do that. So that's Nothing what we are going romance. to do. Nothing that says romance like exercise. See, I married a woman that loves that kind of stuff, so I, I'm I'm lucky there. 
But uh, gonna lucky's an interesting word. You, you guys have to spend your night at the baseball park or, or traveling. But uh, I'm gonna skip watching the games that night and uh, do a whole. I got a whole thing planned, but it's gonna be centered around uh, rock climbing, and it's gonna be a home run. I promise. Is that a pun? Because we're at baseball. No, I feel like an idiot now, though. Because that's completely so unintentional. Lame. <laughs> that is so lame. <laughs> You can subscribe to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. It's there. Just search Sports Talk Mississippi to get the latest Sports Talk Mississippi podcast on your device anywhere, anytime. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to catch Mississippi State News with the Thunder and Lightning podcast, some Haydad and Coleman guys, the Rebel Report with uh, some Rippy and Borky guys, or the Super Talk Eagle Hour in podcast form. When are you getting a podcast? You need you're 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 missing out. Why? I don't. You need to have a podcast. Everybody's got one these days. It's hip. I have a three hour radio show. It's yeah, on fifteen but, hours a week. Yeah, I'm just saying. And it's in podcast form. It, uh, and it's available. <laughs> so we're counting that. Apple podcast. We're counting that as your podcast. Then that's that's the cross podcast. Nah, the crosscast. So. Um. Talked a lot about Mississippi State and Ole Miss tonight. What about these other three games? Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, eleven point favorite. You believe so? The three teams that are at the top of the SEC right now: Kentucky, Auburn, and LSU. Auburn has wins over both of those teams. Which of those three do you believe in the most? Auburn. Why? They're almost unbeatable at home, and they can do enough. They can win the game. They, if they ever go inside, if they ever decide, hey, we're just going to put the ball down to Austin Wiley and those guys, they'll win. But they can also they can shoot from the outside when they need to. They, they have found a way to hit clutch threes this year. And that's the thing. They've hit clutch shots. They've not been a good three-point shooting team until this past Saturday when they hit 18 threes yeah. in the overtime win over LSU. Rippy, those three teams, which one do you believe in the most? Auburn, Kentucky, LSU. Probably Kentucky. I don't really trust Auburn or LSU. Kentucky, why? Uh, they seem to always play better down the stretch, and this seems to be the case this year. They have more ways to beat you. Auburn relies too, on too many perimeter jump shots, and I don't think LSU is that good. I think they're a good, like slightly above average team that has gotten extraordinarily fortunate. Borky, John Calipari, Bruce Pearl, Will Wade, best coach of the three. Ooh, that's a loaded question. Are you talking about a guy that you want me to win one game with or a guy you want me to lead my program with? Let me try that again. Borky, John Calipari, Bruce Pearl, Will Wade, best coach of the three. But... So, the answer is John Calipari. I, I think it's nice because coaching involves, in college, the acquisition of talent, and that would be Calipari. But if you need... One guy to take five guys to win one game, it might be Pearl. What if you want to win with integrity? Will Wade. <laughs> who do you, who do you pick from that three? <laughs> Cal, because he's shameless. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I get what you're asking. If I need a baseline out of bounds play, Bruce Pearl's my guy. Yeah. There's nobody better in basketball. At blob sets than Bruce Pearl. Um, added an L in there. Blob. Blob. Baseline out of bounds. Okay. It's just kind of what they're referred to in basketball. 
No, I got that. I've just always heard Bob because baseline's one word. You've heard Bob before? Yeah. Okay. I guess we talked to different people. I guess we use different style books, actually, but carry on. The um, talked with Eric Musselman before their game on Saturday against uh, Missouri. And I was like, biggest difference for you coaching professional ball versus coaching college ball? I said, I may, that may be a question you get all the time. He said, no. He said, it's actually interesting. He, he said, coaching professional ball, whether it was the NBA or the G League, he said, we had 100 sideline out-of-bounds plays. Very, very few baseline out-of-bounds, inbounds plays, however you want to describe it. He said, in college, you need 100 baseline out-of-bounds plays to try and get a bucket and basically no sideline out-of-bounds plays. You think about it, the majority of the inbounds you see in the NBA are sideline plays, yeah. and the majority of the ones that you see in college are baseline plays. I just thought that was kind of a, a fascinating thing, and never in a 100 years would I have guessed that that would have been the difference that he would have pointed out in coaching college basketball versus professional basketball. Sports Talk Mississippi, take a quick time out. More coming up with you right after this. All right, so the Major League Baseball story that started making rounds yesterday, Borky kind of brought it to our attention, and we just briefly touched on it yesterday, but there's there's more to this. New York Post broke the story yesterday, and people kind of immediately dismissed it, and then all of a sudden it got a little bit of traction, and there's a lot to it. In summary, Major League Baseball apparently is exploring the idea of changing the format of the postseason. There would be no more single wild card games. You would have seven teams from each league, the National League, the American League, make the postseason. Currently, you have five that make it. The first round would be best two out of three series. The best record in the American League, the best record in the National League, those two teams would get first-round buys. Am I doing it? No, no, no. There would be three two-out-of-three series that kind of take the place of the current wild card. Right. And then the best record overall, American League, National League, would both get buys. Mm -hmm. So you would have six of the seven teams playing three-game series to start the playoffs. The best record after the team that gets the bye would get first choice of the other five teams from its league as to who it wants to play in the two out of three series. The second team would get second choice, and then the two teams left over would also play each other in a three-game series. What do you make of this, Rippy? I think there's a wrong way to go about it in terms of expanding the playoffs or making it different, and this is definitely it. It feels too gimmicky. I would just make the uh, wild card game two out of three series. That would be fun. So you just had two teams that had to play two out of three to get to that last spot? Yeah, I think that would be cool. Would you do them all on one side, or would you go home, home, home? you do it all at one side. You couldn't travel. Like the, that would be stupid to travel home away home. So you play three games in three days, the first team to win two. It's like any other Friday, Sunday. It'd be like a Super season. Regional. It'd be like a Super Regional for Major League Baseball. Yeah. Do you I like, like it, Borky? I like that better than what he said, or what they say. Uh, believe it or not, no. Uh, I think they're trying to fix the wrong problem here. Uh, 
so all of the things I've read and, and seen about it today specifically mentions they need to do something because there's an attendance and a rating decline. But the playoffs are and de-incentivizing tanking. That's their goal here is they want teams to stop tanking. But the playoffs are not the problem with any of that, right? They're, they're trying to solve the wrong problem. If ratings are your issue, uh, playoffs are slightly down, but they're still good. People watch playoff baseball. Attendance is very good during playoff baseball, and nobody that makes the playoffs is tanking. So if that is what you're trying to fix adjusting and altering your playoff to this kind of gimmick is not the solution to the problem. I think it's quite simple. I said on Twitter earlier today that if you want to de-incentivize tanking uh, at a salary cap and, most importantly, a spending floor, if you want the Miami Marlins to actually try, you force them to try. That can make your regular season, although it's too long, at least matter more. Why would you ever watch the Marlins play? Ever. You know they are trying to lose on purpose. They don't want to win. They don't try. So... Baseball's problem is not the postseason. So why are you altering that when your problem lies with issues in the regular season? It th- This idea doesn't make sense to me. Baseball's got a salary cap. It's just not a hard cap. It's a, a salary cap that has got luxury tax penalties. If you go over the cap in consecutive years, you got to pay a lot of money. The spending floor I like. Every team in Major League Baseball is making money. We talked about NBA franchise valuations earlier. Baseball is not that much different. But you can't collect money from everybody else and benefit from the overall success of Major League Baseball and not spend money. Did you ever hear when you were in and around Cincinnati any conversation about the idea of a spending floor? No, but I mean, I wasn't around the type of people that would be discussing stuff like that. I just didn't know if that was like a topic that was a regularly discussed topic. No, people in baseball don't necessarily want to see change at all. And I would actually say they're vehemently opposed to it. Why? I mean, like if you grow up playing the thing a certain way, they all think it's fine. They don't want to change it. Like In some ways, it is fine. Like Some of it's overblown. I mean, baseball is just a slow sport. I mean, how you go to preseason training, I know it's spring training but you go for two months whatever what other sport do you do that in yeah so like it's just kind of the nature of it you play 162 games like so like people that are in and around it and like you talk about creatures of habit a baseball player's ultimate creature of habits like anything that changes that i don't think they want to see at all so like no one inside like baseball circles would like probably i mean like, i'm sure there are a few uh, outliers but not very many of them are calling for overhauls to Anything, You know, Morky, you, you, you talked about having a, a regular season problem and needing to speed up the game or, you know, get teams to spend more money, whatever. I kind of – I've had a lot of conversations with David DeLucci about this, and he would readily admit that he is a traditionalist when it comes to baseball and kind of a baseball purist. But it, when I've asked about, okay, you know, anything to speed up the game, he's like, no. He's like, we don't have a clock. It's by design. Baseball's a little bit different. If you don't like it, you don't have to watch. But there's no reason to... I mean, in reality, why do we need to speed up the game? You don't. But therein lies the problem, though. If you don't like it, you don't need to watch. Well, people aren't. 
as much now. They're not they're watching still... nationally, but they are watching locally. That's the and thing you... we always come back to is local markets in baseball are healthy, and baseball is just not a national sport until it gets to the postseason the way the much shorter NFL season is. Right, and that's why Manfred and leadership at Major League Baseball needs to decide what they want, although attendance is down by like 10 million people in the last 10 years. Uh, it's That's not going well either, but that's a not baseball problem. That is a sports and music and anything that does a live show or event problem. It's not just baseball. They need to decide what they want. If they want to be a national sport... Changes have to be made. It's that simple. But if they want to capitalize on the regional success, then just keep going about it the, the way you're doing it. That's the, the question that they in the front office have to answer because it's slipping into a regional sport. But if that's like hockey, the National Hockey League is extremely healthy, but it's not a national sport. But if you go to even Nashville here in the South, it, it is healthy, it's popular, and it's growing in the local markets. And they're doing just fine. I bet nobody in the NHL complains at all about whether it's team ownership or front office league people. They do extremely well, but they have a very local niche audience. If that's what baseball wants to become, it can be healthy forever. But if they want to stay national, changes have to be made. But, I mean, it's just kind of the nature of the sport. Like, baseball, like, they're not... Like I, I would argue that it's not it hasn't been quote unquote national since you know people paid forty five cents to go to a ballpark after like you know, in the nineteen thirties forties or whatever. Like, but then how do you explain the view the just steep decline in viewership with Sunday night baseball and stuff? All of those used to do so well as far as people and eyeballs tuning in, and those numbers have just fallen off a cliff. It's probably towards. It's probably more geared towards lack of emotion. I mean, the three outcome result, and they're not. No one stealing bases. No one putting balls in play, and stuff like that. Whether a game's three and a half hours versus four, or two and a half hours versus three, is probably not why people are tuning it out. It's just kind of boring to watch on television. But really, for as long as I've been alive, like people don't watch regular season baseball nationally on television. Yeah. I'm one of the rare people who will watch if the Giants are on because it's not often that they are nationally. I'll watch that, but yeah, even Yankees, Red Sox, you're not probably not getting me to tune in in June, but I'll watch in in October. Do you do? They're the, also still paying their players a ton of money, and the revenue is still fine. You talk about revenue slip; it's really the NBA. They literally just had one. Yeah. Do you do the MLB extra nah. innings or what so that you can watch every nah. Giants game? Nah, I'm, I'm, especially now. This year, I would definitely not do it, but yeah, that, no, I don't. Just, Listen to them on the radio, or I'll, I'll, I, you know, you can, you can get that for free. I'll tune in every now and then, but for the most part, I just keep up. You know, and yeah. I'm sure yeah. Reddit's got a pirated stream you can watch. I'm sure they do. If I were, I, I watch. I'd say bits and pieces of twenty to twenty-five Giants games a year. Mm-hmm. San Francisco Giants yeah. games a year. If I were a diehard Giants fan, mm-hmm. are you diehard? I wouldn't say I'm diehard, but I'm a, I'm a fan. If that was my team, I would watch a lot more because they have the best local baseball announcers in all of baseball. I like those guys. Don't get me wrong. And you know, and part of it is they're not good right now. You yeah. know, if we were having this conversation 2012, 2014, I might be, oh yeah, I got MLB and you know this, that, and the other. Is it 10, 12, 14, or 12, 14, 16? 10, 12, 14. It's a pretty good run. Cubs won in 16. That's right. That's right. I was hoping that they would find a trash can thing there, but they didn't. In Chicago? Yeah. So I could be all, you know, indignant about it. Yeah. Nothing you can do about that, though. Nope, just choked it away. 
Yeah, 16 was the Giants' last actual run. Yeah. They won the uh, wild card. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you coming up in just a couple of minutes. Don't forget you can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Mark Emmert was on Capitol Hill today. That would be the president of the National Collegiate Athletics Association, more colloquially known as the NCAA. Um, Borky, not one person that has senator or representative in front of their name is intimidated by Mark Emmert. (laughs) Not one. Buddy, they let him have it today. Uh, Marsha Blackburn being the one that stood out to me. Uh, Ross... Dellinger, a friend of the show, is up there covering it, and he tweeted this quote. Uh, speaking directly to Mark Emmert, she said, quote, We're looking at a time when the NCAA has failed when it comes to women in sports, sexual harassment, and sexual abuse. How are parents and players going to be able to trust you to get this right? Mm. And then he was asked about the James Wiseman thing, and he said something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, but... Uh, I don't know the details of that. And the response was, well, you're the CEO. How do you not know the details of that? You can't dance around stuff in front of those people, man, especially not when they have press releases to win. How about this? At one point during the Senate hearing today, Mark Emmert was asked about speeding up the NCAA's timeline for name image likeness change, currently set as January of 2021. He cited the NCAA's lengthy legislative process in his answer. Ramogi Huma had a response to that after the answer from Emmert um, after the hearing. I watched their reaction. They want to keep it a secret. Mark Emmert had plenty of time to answer, as and he's the CEO. Forky was pointing this out. He knows what the Board of Governors can do. He knows these are legal issues. Why didn't his answer include the powers of the Board of Governors? This is not in the weeds. This is central. This committee doesn't seem to want to wake up and act tomorrow, but the Board of Governors can. That becomes a central issue. It's on the NCAA. What are they going to do? What is the Board of Governors going to do? Hey, Dad, chairman of the Board of Governors for the NCAA is Mark Keenum, right? Isn't he president of the NCAA Board of Governors? I don't know that for sure. I can look. I think that is correct. That device is about to come in handy. Um, So what are the central issues that are at play here? I mean, we've we've talked lots and lots and lots about name, image, and likeness. So four takeaways, according to David Cobb at CBS Sports. The debate over state laws going into effect. There are currently 27 states that have some form of legislation that will allow name, image, and likeness or basically student-athletes to profit off of their names. And the question is how to prevent state-by-state chaos in the name of protecting the current collegiate athletic system. Number two, what would new NCAA rules really accomplish? Real quick, 
Dr. Keenum is chairman of the College Football Playoff Board of Managers. Ah. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. I knew it was something. A yes. big highfalutin position. I yeah. just didn't some, remember which Some one of them big wig things, yeah. Um, I heard in an interview earlier today with David Cobb him saying, I mean, so what if the NCAA changes their rules? If a state legislature in California or Florida or Nebraska or New York or Mississippi decides they don't like the NCAA's rules or they don't think the NCAA went far enough, all they got to do is change the wording in their law and enact a law that they like. And, there's, and so in some, some ways, the NCAA is kind of chasing its tail. That, and there's a, a national one coming. It was written by a former Ohio State wide receiver. I think I brought him up, brought him up before, but that bill is a is going to be put on the floor, and it certainly sounds like it'll it'll actually pass. Uh, Anthony Gonzalez is his name. He was a starter, mm-hmm. actually, there for a while. And uh, his bill, part of the provisions, would circumvent any and all state law that's enacted. So this would be a federal sweeping thing to allow athletes to benefit off of their name, image, and likeness. But there are in place, and I'll find some audio of him explaining it, because he can do it better than I can, obviously, since he wrote the bill, uh, guardrails in place. So if you're worried about bad actors or something getting involved, there would be something, and uh, I'll find the audio, hopefully play it for tomorrow's show, that would prevent bad actors from getting involved with these players. It would be a very above-board and uh, kind of a strict process uh, for these guys to and all athletes to benefit from their name, image, and likeness, not just male athletes, obviously. Um, it seems to be measured and but well done. let's be done real. And, this thing's going to be driven by football and men's basketball. Of course. Uh, absolutely. But he, he makes it clear in his bill, apparently, that this will be open to any student-athlete to freely get what the market says they deserve. So There seems to be a difference in opinion on the issue of caps on student-athlete earning. Uh, some of the organizations supporting student-athletes say there should be no cap. Caps don't protect players. A cap would reduce the opportunity economically. Mark Emmert, on the other hand, says, I think the question is what can and cannot be done in the current legal context, and he has expressed hesitance on how a system with no caps on earning potential could work. And then there's also concern over recruiting and transfer inducements. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. Sports Talk Mississippi, college football fix, coming your way next as we roll into the 5 o'clock hour. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, 5 o'clock hour. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday. We are a little less than an hour from tip-off of Ole Miss and Mississippi State tonight from the Pavilion. Game's on ESPNU at 6 o'clock. If you can't make it to the game and can't listen on the radio, then you can watch it right there. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for making part of us your, uh, making us part of your afternoon. As you know, our friend and colleague JT is currently hospitalized in an intensive care unit uh, in the intensive care unit in Jackson. His family and the Telesouth Media family have and continue to ask for your prayers during this very difficult time for JT's family. One of the ways you can help, though, is by donating blood at any Mississippi Blood Services location. Uh, if you've listened to JT through the years, you know he has done. Uh, somewhere around 723 remotes from Mississippi Blood Service locations over the time, uh, and that's certainly that's uh, important in the state of Mississippi. 
When you go to donate, just tell them that you're donating in the name of J.T. Williamson. You can go to msblood.com or download their free mobile app to find a location near you. It's a way that you can not only help J.T. and his family, but you can help your fellow Mississippians. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. It is truck month which means great deals on F-Series, including the F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years, and also the Ranger and the Super Duty. If you haven't gotten behind the wheel of a Ford truck in a while, do yourself a favor. Go test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. You're going to want to take it home with you. Uh, Alex Scarborough at ESPN writes uh, kind of a fascinating column. He said, it's only February, but who are we kidding It's been a month since the college football playoff national championship game, and we're already looking ahead to the start of the 2020 season, circling the most compelling games on the calendar. With that in mind, here is a way too early look at some of the games that many of us are looking forward to listed not by significance, by order of appearance. September 5th, Michigan at Washington. Does that do anything for you? Big oh. Ten, Pac-12? We can jump off the Jim Harbaugh bandwagon in week two. Well, I mean, you're talking about you know Washington with a brand new look, new coach, so could be could be a good win for Michigan. New coach, new quarterback at Washington. Yeah. Same coach, new quarterback at Michigan. Correct. It's not bad. Not a bad way to start the year. That's a good start, yeah. How about this? North Dakota State at Oregon on September 5th. That's almost one of these why do you schedule that game? Games. That's an eyebrow raiser. 12-win season and a Rose Bowl win was great, but what now? Justin Herbert's gone. To whom will Oregon turn behind center? Coach Mario Cristobal has lots of questions to ask and not much time to do it. And by the way, North Dakota State is no ordinary cupcake FCS season opening opponent. They are a powerhouse, having won three consecutive FCS National Championships and riding a 37-game winning streak rolling into Eugene. Joe Moorhead will have his hands full. He will. Yeah. Oh, Oregon's offense better be good out of the gate. Yeah. Whew. There's going to be a lot of people from Starville with the side eye on that game. Why are you that, scheduling a, it? I see what you did there. Yeah. Oh, I, I, wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even go in there. Oh, man. Jeez, I feel bad. You did say the side eye, not the side eyebrow. Yeah. It would be larger eyebrow, raised eyebrow. Yes. The people's eyebrow? He doesn't know what that is. What were you saying, Borky? Oh, just why Why are you scheduling that game? I know Oregon, like, Oregon should win that game by a lot of points. I mean, they have better athletes, or they should, in theory, have better athletes than North Dakota State. But still, if you stumble even a little bit out of the gate, those dudes are not going to be scared of the outs and zoo at all. Like, that's nothing to them. They've played in road environments and won games. I mean, didn't they beat Iowa a few years ago? They are not scared mm-hmm, of anybody. Mm-hmm. Why are you scheduling that game? September 12th, Texas at LSU. <laughs> How about the, the write-up? Welcome to the Air Conditioner Bowl Part 2. First installment last year in Austin was a wild ride and not just the pregame DBU debate. Or the game itself when LSU quarterback Joe Burrow began his Heisman Trophy campaign with a bang. The real fireworks came afterward when LSU coach Ed Ogeron claimed that the air conditioning in the visitor's locker room wasn't working, which Texas denied. 
When asked about returning the favor, Ogeron laughed and said, well, I'm sure we have a plan or two to make them as uncomfortable, uh, I mean as comfortable as they possibly can be. No go Tigers at the end of that? Go Tigers. There you go. I, I would I would have taken LSU to win this one, but uh, Scott Linehan, huh? I don't know about that. Auburn, North Carolina on September 12th. Year two of the Mac Brown era. Sam Howell one. returning as a sophomore at quarterback. Long will have that, that, that machine humming at that point. No Derek Brown, no Marlon Davidson. All jokes aside, that's that's upset alert right there. September 19th, Georgia at Alabama. There it is. Nick Saban, 19-0 and against former assistants. Where's the game? At Alabama? T-Town. Give me the tie. Something tells me the Alabama fans will say to the end of that one, even though it's a September game. They might. Florida State at Boise State. Remember, they opened the year in Tallahassee last year, and Boise State won that game. Yeah, crazy comeback, yeah. Where it was evident that Boise State was more conditioned Yeah, it was evident that Willie Taggart was going to be out the door really soon. Oklahoma at Army on September 26th. I love that, Borky. I love it, too. That's 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 got to be the first big-name opponent to go to Army. Because Notre Dame doesn't go up there. Stanford went a couple of years ago. And Stanford, but even so, but there's there's been Stanford and Oklahoma. Who's there playing is? quarterback for Oklahoma next year? Spencer Rattler, probably. Or at least that's the plan right now. Yeah, that would October. be such a cool atmosphere. A, a top program like that going to West Point, man. If I could go to a game, that'd be the one. I think Oklahoma takes. 7,500, 10,000 fans. That's like, like a lot of fans. Is there enough to fit that many people there, though? Yeah, it seats about 30,000. Yeah. October 3rd, Alabama at Ole Miss. Alex Scarborough writes, Something tells me the reunion of Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin won't feature a lot of hugs at midfield. <laughs> Talent disparity is obvious, but Kiffin is nothing if not creative, and he'll have one of the most electric quarterbacks in the conference. John Rice Plumley. So which one? To work with. That's what this story says. The national divide versus the local divide in terms of like how it, that position is perceived is baffling. It's sort of funny. It was the opposite last year during the season. People, you, you were, you guys were kept saying that you know. Well, it was kind of the same. You, but I'm saying it's like you guys are all like it should be corral, it should be corral. And I guess you're right, yeah. Because the, the national I, I people saying, watch the. I was highlights. saying just give it to Plumlee and go, yeah. Right. I'm not even necessarily saying that right now, but just to say that's decided and that Plumlee will go into that game as the starters doesn't really make any sense. Because they watched the highlights of one Ole Miss game last year, save the Egg Bowl, uh, and it was LSU. And so they see the highlights and a few big runs, and they think, well, that's that's what it is, and they project that into their columns like this. That's how that happens. Texas A&M at Auburn October 17th. It's a big one for A&M. I mean, it could be a big one for Gus and Auburn as well. I mean, that doesn't strike me as super exciting. Alabama at LSU November 7th. Obviously. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. Clemson at Notre Dame on November 7th. That's Clemson's first real regular season game since when? It's their only regular season game in like three years. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Since A&M last year. Yeah. I guess, but even that, I mean, they, 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 that, I didn't really ever think for a second that Clemson was not going to win that game. It would probably be A&M two years ago. In yeah. the rain yeah, in College yeah, yeah, Station, right. yeah. That's the game yeah, where A&M had a chance. 
And the Egg Bowl. November 26th, Mississippi State at Ole Miss. Who can forget the end of last year's Egg Bowl when a pretend dog urination gesture led to a missed extra point and an Ole Miss loss? We get some brand and an already storied and colorful rivalry. That was one for the ages, but then the dominoes started to fall. Ole Miss fired coach Matt Luke and replaced him with the brash and enigmatic Lane Kiffin, not to be outdone. Mississippi State then fired Joe Moorhead a month later and stole back the spotlight by replacing him with the always eccentric Mike Leach. It's fitting, then, that their first meeting will have center stage as the lone FBS game on Thanksgiving night. Early line. Ole Miss minus three. Okay. Here's an over-under. A hundred passes thrown in the game. Take the over. Take it. You're talking 60-40 because Leach is going to pass more? Yeah. Over? I'm probably going under I'm probably going under 100. If you gave me 80, then I'd probably think about 95. Mm, 90 gets into, uh, might go over 90. Might go over 90. I think I'd go under 100, but maybe over 90. going to make a note to do some Egg Bowl prop bets. I'll come up with them that we'll have for them. That'll be fun.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.